the Operations Leadership Podcast with Gautam Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation, and organizational leadership. The following is an interview with Miko Yarvinen. Miko is the co-founder and partner of True North Search, an entrepreneurship through acquisition accelerator based in Northern Europe. Miko has a long background in the lower middle market, small medium enterprise segment where he has served in multiple roles from a chief operating officer to a founder to various companies within health technology and digital marketing services consultancy. And in addition to this, he has coached and advised many entrepreneurs, both early stage as well as the latter growth stage, and now focusing on acquisition entrepreneurship. And in this interview, Miko will tell a little bit about the entrepreneurship through acquisition model and really the criticality of operations and specifically operations improvement uh, as a critical factor for the success in entrepreneurship through acquisition. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Miko. How are you? And welcome to the Operations Leadership Podcast. Thank you for the invitation and uh, happy to be here. Great. So I understand, Miko, that you are involved with a model uh, called Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition or ETA. Could you tell us a little bit more about this ETA model? That's right. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll start off by introducing the model with the uh, exact words that it was introduced to me a couple of years back. So it's the uh, best kept secret in the business community. And uh, I think that's uh, quite an accurate statement for it. So what Entrepreneurship to Acquisition is about, it's, uh, it's about getting into entrepreneurship through acquiring a business. So alternative path to setting up a new business, setting up a startup and uh, building from there. And um, the model isn't actually very new. It was uh, originally developed in uh, uh, Ivy League business schools in the U.S., uh, mainly in Stanford by an individual named Irv Grausbeck. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, the model is actually quite simple. So you have uh, three key roles. You have an uh, uh, analogy of horse race. So you have a jockey, you have a horse, and you have a trainer. And uh, in this analogy, the jockey is the... Uh, entrepreneur to be, the uh, upcoming operator who's looking for a business to acquire. A horse, that's actually the business that's going to be acquired. And then you have a trainer, which in this case is uh, an investor, or maybe we'll talk a bit about True Not Search later, an accelerator that is uh, supporting supporting the jockey on this journey. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because you're, you're saying that this model is quite different from the traditional startup model in the sense that you're acquiring an established business. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how, what else kind of differs in terms of, you know, the success rates, uh, startup versus the ETA model? Yeah, I mean, one thing that differs is the uh, returns with this model. Uh, the model has been actually quite successful uh, throughout the, uh, since the inception of uh, early 1980s. And uh, we've seen uh, return rates closer to 30% IRR. Uh, oh, on that's pretty level. high. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much outperforming uh, alternative assets. Of course, it's outperforming the uh, uh, listed companies. Uh, and uh, 
it's kind of like interesting how those returns are um, um, heavily based also on the uh, operator that is taking the company company over. So maybe one way to look at that uh, uh, returns and comparison to startups is the thinking of the uh, risk and also on the return on this side. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you look at startups, uh, the two key reasons why startups fail, uh, the most quoted ones are timing and team. Mm-hmm. So uh, you cannot really do much about timing. I mean, you're coming in with the technology. It might be the right time to move forward with that, or it might be the wrong time to move forward with that. Um, with team, uh, getting into a startup is a bit of a risky proposition. So you might be struggling getting the uh, competencies that you need to have in place and ha- getting the people in with the right motivation. Mm-hmm. And these two things are completely different with the uh, uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition model. So firstly, you're going in, buying a well-established company that has a track record of profitability, uh, pretty secure marketplace, and uh, you start building from there. So you're kind of like, timing doesn't really matter. The company has been there for 10 years, 20 years or so on. So this is an established business and has this kind of a track record. So are there any other kind of, let's say, criteria that uh, needs to be in place for this, let's say, target acquisition? Uh, yes, there is. It's actually, uh, there's quite tightly knit community around the ETA model and uh, well-established criteria on what uh, what these jockeys are looking for when they're actually evaluating the uh, horses or the businesses to buy. And of course, you're looking at profitability. Uh, number two is probably the industry. Uh, you're kind of like, uh, uh, placing your bets in a way that you're looking into growing industries. So you get kind of like a bit of a tailwind when you're uh, growing with that one. And uh, of course, one criteria is uh, recurring revenue. So uh, companies with business models where you have a large share of recurring revenue are something that are quite favored with this model. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And I guess if you have a recurring revenue model that makes it more predictable in terms of cash flow and, of course, your sales. Uh, exactly, exactly. And uh, also one perspective on that is that um, we are changing the management with this model. So you're introducing new management. And with this high level of recurring revenue, you're kind of like making that transition a bit easier. So there's not going to be quick impact on the uh, revenues, whatever changes during that time. Mm-hmm. It's more accruing over the time. Right. Of course, the downside of recurring revenue is that the, uh, growing that revenue might be a bit slower, in a sense. Mm-hmm. How so? I mean, you, you could go into an industry where you have a high level of switching costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have long contracts in that industry, uh, contracts spanning over months, over years. Mm-hmm. And uh, winning those contracts might be a bit slower than an industry that is... Uh, running on a different type of uh, revenue model. Right. You mentioned something interesting. I mean, of course, the returns of this type of model, I think you mentioned 29, 30% uh, internal rate of return, which is Mm -hmm. a good gauge for investors uh, in terms of picking investments. Why do you think that, uh, you know, what's the secret sauce, you know, behind this type of uh, ETML? Why the high returns? Yeah, I think I would bring out actually three things. So one, we already discussed. I mean, you're looking at businesses that are well-established and uh, enduringly profitable, having an opportunity to grow forward. 
you're introducing investors that are smart that can actually support the operator. But the key thing with this model is that you're introducing new management. And that is completely different maybe for, well, at least for the listed businesses. Also, if you will look at uh, other alternative investments, uh, you might see more involvement in the board level, not actually in the uh, operational management. Mm. And uh, comparing to the startups, I mean, you might have trouble uh, getting that talent uh, into uh, companies. You might be struggling to get uh, experienced people with uh, who can actually leverage their skills on uh, developing that business forward. Um, with this model, um, the key is the uh, operator mm. who can actually be there to uh, drive that value. Okay, that's interesting because this is this is a podcast, of course, on operations leadership. Exactly. So this is very uh, relevant topic to us. So could you elaborate a little bit? I mean, because obviously if you're getting such a high return, internal rate of return, there must be some sort of value creation that this uh, searcher or acquirer is doing. So can you elaborate a little bit, you know, on, on that aspect in terms specifically around the value cr creation component, so to speak? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's pretty much given for looking at those returns, what needs to happen, the company needs to become more valuable in the hands of the uh, new jockey, in the hands of the new management. And uh, how that may work is that uh, typically the companies that are acquired are actually uh, uh, founder-managed companies. Mm -hmm. And you might have founders uh, who are a bit on higher age. Uh, they might not have the uh, skills to grow that company, to improve that company from a certain stage that where they are. And they might just lack the motivation. So mm -hmm. they're happy where the company is. So are these are these people that are the let's say selling the company, are they are they typically of retirement age or how does that work? Exactly, that's probably the number one reason for uh, people who are selling these businesses, and uh, that's typically the focus. What you're looking for is uh, companies that are um, maybe are not having a succession plan in mm -hmm. place. Okay. You might have companies where. Uh, the uh, uh, children of the founder are not interested in taking that company forward. And maybe the founder hasn't just really thought of a structured process on succession with mm -hmm. the company. So that's that's quite an acute problem, uh, especially where you have countries where there's aging population. It is. I mean, it's the uh, fastest aging continent, I would say. So it's, uh, it's uh, you could characterize that as a problem for... Uh, pretty much all of the Western world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, going back to the kind of the, the value that's created, let's say, after the acquisition is done. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the, let's say, the levers of value creation and kind of distinguish? I mean, how does, how does operations actually fit in to the overall pictures, if you compare that with maybe the capital structure or the the multiple expansion. I mean, how, how does that actually fit into the picture operations? Sure. So let's maybe start with the uh, what are the actual levers or opportunities for value creation with this model. So you actually have only 
three or maybe four levers that you can use on with this one. And uh, first one, that's kind of like, uh, I would say, traditional private equity, the use of leverage. Mm-hmm. So um, as the companies that are being acquired uh, are cash flow positive, they have the uh, history of uh, uh, positive returns. Uh, some leverage can be applied on these acquisitions. So by leverage, you're talking about taking debt. Exactly. So okay. um, having maybe 50% of debt, maybe even more on uh, on acquiring these companies. And uh, the second one, that's pretty clear. Um, you buy with a reasonable price and uh, find ways to actually increase that price over time. So we're looking at uh, typically these companies are valued by... Uh, multiple of some earnings figure Mm -hmm. so you might find ways to actually increase that multiple and uh, with actually that formula you also have the earnings side which Mm -hmm. i think that's the realm of operations improvement so so basically the first two i mean one is around the the capital structure Mm -hmm. and essentially the uh, the component of deleveraging to basically raise the, the the equity value of the company um, through the course of the holding period. And then the second one is around the, of course, the the multiple of the earnings, like you said. And, that's, yeah. and that is, is that a, a difference between the multiple, let's say of uh, profit or EBITDA earnings before uh, interest uh, taxes um, and the exit? So when you actually exit the uh, thing, how, how, do, how is that one? Yeah, exactly. So you're looking at uh, what is the uh, multiple on that earnings figure on your entry and what could that multiple be on the exit. Got it. And uh, of course, if you're able to, uh, well, I mean, something that happens with this size of companies that uh, we're focusing on, I think we didn't mention that, but uh, we're typically, with this model, you're typically looking at uh, companies that are under the radar of traditional private equity entities. Mm -hmm. And uh, what that means is that it's highly illiquid market in a way that the uh, entrepreneurs might not have that much of opportunities to uh, um, find uh, buyers for their businesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, by uh, doing this transaction, introducing the uh, operator who would be growing the company, improving the company, you might be able to grow that company in a stage where it becomes maybe more attractive or uh, traditional private equity. So is, this, also. so is this basically kind of the small, medium enterprise, lower middle market type of enterprise? Can you give a kind of a value of what range of uh, companies in terms of enterprise value? Exactly. So um, the value of the companies varies a bit from market to market. But uh, what we've seen in um, Europe, for example, we might start as low as uh, half a million in uh, EBITDA. Mm-hmm. which translates to maybe uh, up to 5 million in terms of enterprise value. Mm-hmm. At the at the bottom? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, some what? markets, maybe US markets, we're seeing a bit more uh, uh, larger companies. I guess uh, private equities are maybe mm-hmm. more moving uh, or focusing on a bit larger companies. Right. So you have a different type of um, um, opportunity gap that you can focus on. So, so from an operations perspective, typically, if you have a company of that size, the processes, uh, the systems, and the overall operations are typically less mature. Exactly. So in a way, there could be more room for 
operations improvement. So going back to the, you know, the the discussion around value creation, you were you were talking that there's the capital structure, there's the multiples, the deltas and the multiples entry and exit, but then there's this whole operations improvement that is providing this lever. So can you elaborate a bit on that? Exactly. So operation improvements, which can be, I think the uh, ultimate measure would be earnings or free cash flow, if you want to look also at the uh, uh, working capital side of things. But uh, yeah, so that's pretty much the uh, core of the uh, uh, operations improvement side in the ETA model. And uh, I think you hit it on the nail. It's um, these companies, as they are typically uh, founder run, um, there are a lot of opportunities that you can actually build on. Um, Maybe just a couple of examples. I mean, these are more from the uh, U.S. market. They're uh, public information, so sharing some of those. So um, um, one example is uh, basically price increases. So this is actually quite simple thing to get started. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is actually quite successful investor, um, Matt Estep with Postport Capital, who's uh, focusing solely on uh, companies that have uh, opportunity for price increase with the ETA model. Mm-hmm. And uh, some examples are residential elevator component manufacturers that he's been looking into. And uh, um, essentially, you might have just an opportunity to... Th- this company doesn't have really direct competitors, non-direct competitors. Mm-hmm. How he's doing this is uh, he's trying to actually buy some of the components that the uh, target company or the aqu- company to be acquired is uh, producing right. and hasn't been able to do that. So that means that there's probably a good bargaining power with that company mm-hmm. and moving forward with from there. So that's almost a level like of a vertical integration um, in the value chain, in uh, a sense, or let's say some sort of integration in the value chain. Yeah, you could you could say that. Uh, but um, essentially, it's just realizing that uh, there is the uh, opportunity to do that price increase, but uh, it hasn't been just touched. Maybe the uh, previous owner just doesn't want to do the effort of renegotiating those prices and being happy where he is at the moment. Right. So that's that's maybe one example. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple of more ex- interesting examples are kind of uh, what you can do on the uh, revenue increase side. So uh, one example is uh, uh, on-ramp access, which is which acquired by Lucas Brown a few years back. And uh, that's a data center operation. And that starting point, uh, I think he had uh, two salespeople there and one of them quit on day one after mm-hmm. acquisition. Okay. So basically building the whole sales force again for that company and uh, uh, building it a bit more smarter than previously. So uh, one realization for him was was the question that uh, is this a product that is being bought or is this a product that has be, is being sold? And uh, with data centers, usually the customer is already struggling with limited capacity or something like that. So it's definitely a product that is being bought. So introducing tools like uh, inbound marketing, creating content, uh, making your customers aware that you are, you are here, and uh, basically uh, luring them in uh, through different conversion goals and uh, building the customer relationship from there. Uh, he was quite successful on uh, actually pushing down the uh, marketing expenses, customer acquisition expenses for this one. But that's basically just one example that the uh, 
maybe the previous ownership wasn't really focused on that thing. And the uh, new entrepreneur was able to uh, introduce improvements just essentially by uh, implementing existing technology of that time. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a good example of the kind of the revenue growth mm-hmm. and the top line sales, uh, you know, uh, pushing that up higher. I mean, can you do the same with, for example, the really looking at the bottom line, the profitability, I mean, things like sourcing or production efficiencies, uh, logistics, maybe rationalizing some logistics service providers or distribution. I mean, is, does that work in this model as well? Exactly. I mean, it works perfectly. I mean, and it's it's maybe coming back to the role of the operator mm-hmm. also in here. So uh, uh, it's also a lot about the uh, what kind of skills and competencies the operator can bring in. Uh, what is the jockey? Uh, I mean, if he has great experience on those kind of uh, improvements, uh, that's where he will be focusing on. That's probably also the focus on uh, what he will be acquiring acquiring with this one. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the operator, and and of course, you know, the theme of this podcast is operations leadership. So mm-hmm. I understood that you know that once this jockey or this searcher acquires. He or she basically transitions to a the chief executive officer, the CEO role. Mm-hmm. So, what 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 is your what is your view on kind of the leadership component, and especially leadership component as referring to the operation side, whether it's top line revenue growth or kind of the reduction in the operating cost structure? I mean, how do you see leadership as a a a, a component? you know, specific to drive some of these changes. How do you see that? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll two perspectives on that. So um, one thing is that, uh, well, we discussed that already previously. So um, it's a question of uh, introducing new, more maybe motivated, more driven, uh, better skilled management for some of these companies. But maybe also... Other perspective, you could say, is the kind of like uh, role of that uh, new manager who's taking over that company. And um, maybe something that is uh, noteworthy is that uh, when we're looking at these smaller companies, starting from half a million EBITDA, you might have uh, organizations where you start with maybe 10 people working on that one, maybe 20 people, 30 people. And that's going to be very hands-on work. the uh, CEO, uh, the uh, operator taking over that business, will be transitioning in the smaller scale between doer and manager. So um, maybe one perspective that is new to uh, people who take this path coming maybe from a, a, a corporate world is that the uh, buck stops with you in this model. Mm-hmm. So you're the one who's kind of like taking the full responsibility of, uh, of this company and... Uh, and uh, there is actually nobody else you can uh, uh, delegate a lot of this stuff. Right. So it's uh, it's uh, you're the one who's uh, carrying that company forward and responsible for impl- implementing all those uh, uh, improvements. Mm. So there's probably a uh, a big kind of let's say change agent. Also, I mean, if you do have a lean yes. small team, you must be able to leverage your leadership skills to kind of move the move the needle on these operations exactly i mean it, it 
what we see a lot of times, it's it's kind of like a king and pawns type of uh, organizations <laughs> with these ones. Right. So so you, you have a maybe, um, I mean, somebody refers it to entrepreneurial leadership, but uh, kind of like uh, you might start with an organization which is kind of like built around the personality of the uh, founder of the entrepreneur. And uh, that has to change mm-hmm. in when, when this transition happens, because that guy is not going to be around anymore. Right. And uh, that might meet, mean a quite big change in these type of companies mm-hmm. in terms of employment, employees and, uh, and so on. Sure. Interesting. So you're a partner of this uh, entity called True North Search. So yes. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what True North Search does? Happy to do that. So um, the reason for existence of True North Search is that uh, we are here to accelerate this uh, ETA process. So essentially supporting individuals that decide to take this path. And uh, how we run this is that uh, we quite carefully uh, vet, train, uh, also support uh, entrepreneur operators or future entrepreneurs. Uh, we like to call them entrepreneur operators in residence. Oh, so you call them entrepreneur operators in residence. Yes, okay. we do. Yes, yeah. we do. Okay. And um, um, we are there to support them throughout the uh, various stages of uh, firstly preparing for their search, uh, searching uh, for a, a company to acquire. These individuals might through, go through one, uh, hundreds of uh, opportunities before they write, find the right one. And also supporting them in the uh, acquisition stage, uh, but also post-acquisition, running that company and uh, uh, maybe supporting them also through the exit if uh, if uh, they're willing to uh, sell that company at some point. Now, do you do you uh, when you look at a company and you're evaluating a company, do you also take into account like for example where the company uh, could let's say improve from an operational standpoint and take that into consideration during the negotiation, even in the valuation? I mean, uh, is there is there kind of a process or sub-process that you kind of look at and say, okay, here's the current uh, operation of the company, you know, based on the post-acquisition, the new CEO will take over and based on his or her skill set that they can bring X, Y, and Z from an operational perspective. Do you do do that kind of thing? Yes. So uh, with this model, um, the uh, entrepreneur operator is... Uh, quite heavily involved on evaluating the opportunities and running the due diligence. And uh, what I like with this model is then you have a kind of like built-in setup where you're not only objectively evaluating that opportunity, but also having a look where you can put your skills as the future CEO, as the future EOIR. Mm-hmm. And um, and um, that, uh, that, is, that is the part of the uh, process. So when evaluating those targets, uh, we have the criteria of the enduringly profitable companies. Uh, are there, um, is there a component of recurring revenue? Is the company profitable? What kind of cap- uh, capital expenses that company carries? But there's also a uh, uh, key evaluation criteria on what are the actual um, value creation opportunities post-acquisition. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a story of uh, how this company becomes more valuable in the hands of the new EOIR. Right. Interesting. And, and so uh, if people want to, are more interested 
in True North Search, uh, in getting in touch with you, um, how how can they how can they do that? Yes. So um, how the process is run is that uh, firstly, uh, well, you get more information from the True North Search uh, website, truenorthsearch.io, and uh, you find the contact information there. Um, we're running once, twice a year cohorts of uh, uh, future EOIRs. So how the process goes from their side is that uh, the uh, EOIRs apply on our website. There is the uh, uh, selection process after that. And after that, they start a nine-week training program with this, us. This EOIR is entrepreneur? Entrepreneur operator in residence, exactly. Okay. So uh, these are the individuals who are uh, embarking on this uh, process. Got it. And uh, that nine-week program is actually kind of like um, covering all the major uh, aspects that you need to have uh, in order to increase your chances to succeed with this. So we cover things like uh, search strategies, how you actually uh, conduct your search. Uh, we go through uh, financing, deal structuring with this model, but also the operations improvement side. So um, getting some ideas also on that side uh, before before uh, embarking for the search. And uh, after this nine-week program, uh, that's when they set off. So we're providing them with tools, um, company databases, process, uh, coaching, mentoring for the search duration. Uh, having maybe a bit of an maybe a bit bit of more eyes to look at the deal, look at the opportunity. Mm-hmm. and uh, help them forward with that one. At the moment, uh, we are uh, working with eight entrepreneur operators in residence. So these individuals are searching for a company to acquire uh, in Finland, UK, Estonia, Denmark, uh, and Norway at this stage. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, as we're recording this podcast, uh, um, two of our uh, EOIRs have been uh, in process of searching for uh, closer to a year now, mm-hmm. and uh, six of them have uh, just started started this process. Sounds exciting. Well, this is uh, great. Um, uh, this is a new model, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship through acquisition. So definitely want to uh, thank you for your time, Miko, and uh, thank you. look forward to uh, seeing the success uh, of the ETA model in, in, in Northern Europe. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for this. That's it for this week's Operations Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.